Although we can't go back in time, we can reflect on our past experiences and learn from them. But wouldn't it be so amazing if we could? If you could, what would you tell yourself? This is Letters to My Younger Self. I'm Liz Gardner. Join me as we talk with some of my favorite people about their life stories and how they've learned and how we can become a little better by hearing their incredible stories. Dear 15-year-old Nancy, you know how you told your friends at lunch today you wanted to be a well-educated party planner? That is all going to work out. Today on the podcast, I have Nancy Major, and I'm so excited for you to hear her story. Nancy is a mother of four, a lawyer turned to bakery specialist. She is now a co-owner of two companies, Color My Cookie and Desserts Unlimited, and she has an amazing story to share. I heard a quote the other day from Christopher Robin. He said, you are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. To me, this is the epitome of Nancy. She is brave, strong, smart, resourceful, and this year when their bakery had to shut down due to COVID, it just broke my heart. I couldn't believe that that happened to them. They have worked so hard, and I wanted her to share her experience. It's amazing as I speak with her because even though this was such a tragic, hard thing for them, she took this opportunity to create something amazing out of it. And I think she's just so inspirational. She has so many funny, wonderful stories about the bakery and sharing about what it's like to be a business owner and how chaotic and crazy it is. And she just really taught me a lot about your effort. One thing she said that I loved was, you may have not had your best idea yet. So I hope you all enjoy this episode and I hope your best ideas are all yet to come. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you were like as a kid. Yeah, well, first, I'm totally happy to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. So I grew up in California. I grew up in a wonderful little town called Gilroy. It is the garlic capital of the world. I actually wrote my college admissions essay about volunteering at the Gilroy Garlic Festival. (laughs) That's awesome. A lot of garlic pride. Uh, That's where I started out. But now I've made my way to Dallas. I'm married, I have four kids, two boys and two girls, and my husband and I own and operate a bakery together. Actually, two bakeries, so maybe we'll talk more about that later. But before I married into the pastry business, I went to law school, and that was a trip. And I'm much better suited to be the CEO of a cookie company than a lawyer. (laughs) So growing up, as far as what I was like as a kid, I grew up an only child in pretty candidly dysfunctional family. Parents had a really rocky marriage and I was really, really intense. I was really serious. I was really focused. I got good grades. I cared a lot about doing everything just right. And my parents had a lot of ideas about raising children that I have not adopted. And one in particular is they would always say, we're not raising a child, we're raising an adult. And so, for example, things like training wheels were off the table because that's just (laughs) not 
it's not appropriate because like at two years old you should be able to ride a bike by yourself right right. and uh floaties were not part of this learning to swim and I don't think I think as soon as I was tall enough and big enough to stand on my own I took showers not baths because we're raising and as a result of that I confident but my childhood lacked some of the joy and whimsy and kind of the carefree feeling that I probably try maybe extra hard to create for my own children. Wow that's so interesting because I feel like I would never see you as being a serious shy child because I feel like you are so fun I feel like you come in the room and you're the life of the party and everyone's (laughs) always so excited to talk to you and I feel like you throw great parties today was your son's birthday and he just turned three and you always make such a big deal about your kids birthdays and what it looks like for me they have a magical life I remember we went to your house and Hayden was so amazed that Elizabeth's room was polka dots they got to paint their room my poor child that's never lived in any place that we've owned didn't know that you could actually paint a room a specific color it's funny about elizabeth when we first started looking at houses my husband and i married for 11 years and for the first nine years we lived in a house various houses and apartments but always with one bathroom and we just kept having more children but never any more bathrooms and so we bought a house that The house we lived in right before the house that you're talking about, it was 1,100 square feet and we had four kids in one bathroom. And this is getting a little off track, but one night the toilet broke. Sam went to lift the top off to jiggle the handle and when he set it down, it broke the tank. And no no joke, we YouTubed how to fix a toilet and went to Home Depot like in the middle of the night because <laughs> someone was going to wake up and have to go to the bathroom. So it was about probably eight or nine o'clock and we slid into one of us, went to Home Depot, slid in right when it was closing, got the toilet, came home, YouTubed it, fixed it. <laughs> anyway, we handled that. But then we eventually, about two years ago, we moved into a house that we bought and yes, the kids did pick their own paint and Elizabeth had seen a house when we were looking at houses that was painted pink and had these gold polka dots on the wall, those kind of decals, and she just fell in love with that. So it is true that her room is painted pink with gold polka dot vinyl <laughs> stickers on it. And she uh, she recently told me she really loves her room, but she wishes we could just fancy it up a little bit. Because so, <laughs> the gold is not quite fancy enough for her. Because the pink and gold and chandelier and multiple castles is just not enough. <laughs> She's so fancy. She's fancy. So tell us, why did you decide to go to law school? Oh gosh, I had all these pie in the sky ideas about what a great lawyer I was going to be and how I was going to really change people's experience. I went to law school because I was really interested in estate planning and specifically charitable gift planning, fundraising essentially. And I went to law school thinking that I would have an estate planning practice that would really be like a niche practice in charitable gift planning. And it's funny that I own a bakery now because a really key component to my plan was that I was going to have, I always envisioned kind of like an office behind my home and there'd be this beautifully tended garden that I would take care of myself and my clients. They'd walk through the garden and they'd feel so relaxed as they were coming to my office to talk (laughs) about death and money. It would be a whole new experience from like the big law firm 
you know, get in the elevator, go to the 18th floor thing. No, no. Once I was helping them, they would walk through my garden. I'd offer them. And the uh, birds would be chirping. And the birds would be chirping, and they'd feel very relaxed. They'd come to my office. I'd offer them a warm treat and a cool beverage, and then we'd talk about all the things that freak people out, death and money. <laughs> and I got to law school, which was a total trip, and... One of the highlights of going to of my time in law school is that I hosted a two-screen Miss America party. So that just kind of shows you how, just how inspired by Elle Woods I actually was. They made the movie about you. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I, I definitely did some things in law school that were not like other law students. Anyway, so I thought people would just, you know, come to my office, they'd feel very relaxed, they'd have a treat, we'd talk about these important things, but... By the time I got out of law school and I worked for a little bit in estate planning, it was so clear that, first of all, charitable gift planning is not what people really do most of the time with their estate planning attorneys. And I just did not have the temperament for being a lawyer. Pretty quickly, I moved to working in nonprofit development. So fundraising, and that was just such a better fit for my personality and there was a lot of event planning involved. So I pretty quickly discovered that that's not how estate planning works. So I pretty quickly moved into nonprofit development, which fundraising, and there was a lot of event planning in that, which I loved. Raising money for good causes, which I loved. And just really, that just suited my personality better. And I did that for several years before I married into the pastry business. That's awesome. I know a lot of people that have gone to law school say it's pretty cutthroat. Was it like that for you or? Well, I found it all very collegial <laughs> because I was there with a really specific plan of what I wanted to do. I wasn't gunning for the big law firm jobs. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids to support. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of the pressure that I think other students either had or put on themselves mm -hmm. and so my goal really was get to law go to law school graduate start my own practice and so for me it wasn't particularly cutthroat because I wasn't trying to get one of those big fancy jobs and actually I found the environment in law school to be pretty collegial and pretty collaborative and not really hyper competitive I went to law school at BYU. I really enjoyed the people I went to law school with, and I overall found it to be a fine enough way to spend three years, but that was enough of that. <laughs> that was enough of that. So how did you end up meeting your husband, Sam? Well, Sam and I met through a common friend right after I graduated from law school, and well, about a year after I graduated from law school. And he had just taken a job at a ski resort in Park City as a pastry cook, working with a chocolatier he really admired up there. And I was working for a nonprofit. And really, we just, a friend introduced us over dinner. And actually, to be honest, the friend told Sam they were having a law school party. But I was the only person coming. I think they just wanted him to hang out longer. And they thought he would hang out longer if he thought it was going to be a party. <laughs> but then it was just me. And I remember the night we met thinking, oh, like, hmm, who's this guy? You know, but he had just moved to Utah from 
back east and I was just sure that probably had some girl on the hook back there and also I the stated reason for my visit with our friends was to meet their baby and so I was kind of uh slapping myself on my own hand a little bit like you're here to meet the baby like focus (laughs) but yeah so we met through common friends so did he always know that he wanted to start a bakery was that always the dream Yeah, so he really loved cooking and baking from a very young age. And after he finished his undergrad, he decided he wanted to go to culinary school. And I mean, it had been a love of his for a long time, but didn't seem practical. It didn't seem like a good way to support our family. For a lot of reasons, he kind of put it off. But by the time we met, he had finished culinary school and he was working, like I said, I think his official job title was pastry cook two. And he worked terrible hours, always like 3 p.m. to 11. Wow. So we would go on breakfast dates. (laughs) The, The City Magazine had just come out with like top breakfast spots in the city. And so we just like worked our way through those on our breakfast dates. And one of the funny stories about our time dating was that he had to ask for a night off. Well, he decided he needed to ask for a night off so he could kiss me because he thought like the 9.30 kiss, 9.30 a.m. kiss didn't really seem <laughs> as romantic. Like smooth. <laughs> so, I love that that's like the reason for getting the, yeah, the day off. Yeah, so he, we, we did have one evening date and uh, then we went back to our breakfast dates for a long time. That's so awesome. I love that. But but your question about whether he always knew he wanted to own a bakery. So yes, by the time he got through culinary school, his eye was always toward owning his own business, being his own boss. And that was pretty easy for me to fold myself into as a life plan. Um, my own parents were pretty entrepreneurial. My mom had her own business. My dad kind of developed a niche within his business. And while he was never really his own boss, he worked in banking, but he kind of developed this line of banking services that was unique and new when he came up with it. And Sam's dad is a physician and had worked for himself. And so I think the idea of being entrepreneurs and being entrepreneurs together came pretty easily to us. It didn't freak me out when he said he wanted to own a bakery someday. Yeah. A friend of mine, she, her husband was an accountant and then he decided to be an entrepreneur. And she was like, I married an accountant for a reason to have like a steady (laughs) income. Like I didn't want all this. And then he became an entrepreneur. She's like, I didn't sign up for I didn't sign up. Exactly. (laughs) So I feel like we know sometime along the way we were dating, Sam said to me, I really want to have boys and girls. And I was like, did some quick math. And I was like, well, that's, that's four kids. Like, that's a lot of babies. Like, let's do this. Like, okay. <laughs> but we say now that when we got married, we dreamed of having boys and girls in a bakery and we got it all. So we feel really lucky. I love that. So when did you decide to quit your job and help start the bakery? Oh, goodness. So in around 2015, 2016, We were at the point where we thought, okay, it's time to start our own thing. Our oldest daughter was going into kindergarten and which now I look back on that and I'm like, gosh, that's so, you know, I don't know why we felt all this pressure. The first of our children was going to kindergarten. It's like time to get our act together. But we got married when we were a little bit older. 
by some standards. We were we were 30 when we got married and we wanted to have these boys and girls and a bakery and you gotta get moving if you're doing that. So 2015, 2016, around that time, we were really getting ready to start our own bakery in Houston where we lived. And our oldest daughter was going into kindergarten and we just kind of felt like, we're ready to go, it's time, let's do this. And so we went pretty far down that road. We had found a space, we were about to sign a lease, we picked out equipment, we had drawings for the space. And then I got what we thought at the time was a brilliant idea, and which I would now say was totally naive and incorrect, but the brilliant idea that we thought I had was, wait, we should buy a bakery that's already operating. And then we'll essentially be like buying ourselves jobs. And that will be, you know, we'll kind of skip over all of the, or at least some of the pitfalls of small business ownership because we'll find something to buy and then we'll step right into it and go from there. And so we made a list of all the states where we both would be willing to live, which is kind of an embarrassingly small list because <laughs> I don't do snow and Sam doesn't do Florida. So there weren't that many states <laughs> that we could choose from. And then we started looking for a bakery to buy and we found one and we sold our house in Houston, which we had just renovated and left all of our friends. And And I remember I've talked to you about this house. Your house, it was your dream house with beautiful I loved, furniture. I, and loved, like, I loved our house. I mean, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything fancy. But kind but, of tell us how, I mean, I feel like you had to sacrifice a lot. You went from this dream house and then... I mean, you ended up getting into a house later, but like for a while you were just living in an, in yeah. an apartment. Comp- like when I first yes. met you, I came to your two bedroom apartment. So yeah. I'm sure that was a, quite a hard transition. Yeah. So it was hard. So our house in Houston was this tiny bungalow that I fell in love with. It was a kind of a weird part of town. Sam was never in love with it like I was, but... He humored me and we updated the kitchen and we redid the plumbing and we redid the electrical and I just loved it. But it wasn't just leaving our house. I mean, I can remember in the early days of owning the bakery, I remember just thinking, I have given up everything for this. Like, I left my house, I left my friends, I uprooted my kids, my husband is gone all the time now, I quit my job, I moved from into this tiny little apartment... I well, mean, and when you say gone all the time, you mean like till 3 a.m., right? Oh, I mean like sometimes all, all night. night. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, in those early days and actually for years, so we're four years into owning the bakery now. And over those four years, there were probably like four or five times a year Sam would work like 36 to 40 hours without coming home. Wow. Like straight through. And there were definitely... Like people worked that much in a whole week. Yes. You're like, he worked that <laughs> 40 hours straight. Straight through. And uh, he... How did he not sleep? You know what, y'all? We should have him on the podcast <laughs> to ask him. I mean, truly, I don't know how he did it. And now that we've, we've made a lot of changes, and we can probably talk about some of those, but looking back, I really don't know how we did it. But there were also stretches where he would work like 70 to 80 days in a row with no day off. Like at some point during every one of those days, he would be working. And then also I was working too, right? So we have these four children and I was 
obviously, maybe not obviously, but I was taking care of them, managing our household. But there were a lot of times when Sam would come home from the bakery and he would crawl in bed at 1.30 or 2 in the morning and I would literally get out of bed and start working. And I would work until he left to go to work. And so there were long periods of time when as a unit we were working on our business 24 hours a day. Wow. One thing I would like to ask is if you could go back in time to when you first moved to Dallas and give yourself advice on how should we run this bakery, what would your advice be? Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) Not a loaded question at all. I know, right? Oh, gosh. I wish how we should run the bakery. You know, I think that we should have simplified our business model a lot earlier than we did. But when we bought the bakery, it was really important to us or we thought it was a good practice to not show up and change things. You know, we understood that we were buying someone else's thing. And so it was really important to us to take some time to observe and to get to know our customers and to get to know our employees and to understand the business. And we had never owned a business before. So we were pretty humble, not as humble as we are now, but we were pretty (laughs) humble. We knew we had a lot to learn. And I think if I had to do it again, I would have said, make the changes that will make things simpler sooner. That's what I would do differently. I feel like everyone could apply that to any part of their life, you know? (laughs) Right. Because I feel like there's so many times where we just overcomplicate things. We're trying to make so many people happy and we end up running ourselves ragged and you look at your family or the things that are really the most important Are we really doing the essential things that are going to make us the most happy or are we just running around trying to please everybody? Right. And that's what, you know, so that was really, I think, one of the biggest challenges at the bakery early on is that we did not have, and I think this happens to lots of business owners, we did not have the confidence to say no. And so anytime someone asked us for something, we wanted to do it. And we thought that that was good customer service. And we thought that good customer service was a good business practice. But now that I have a little more experience, I would say that that's not always true, right? Like we would have clients who would come to us and they would want just really intricate things or really custom work. And because we could do it, because Sam is crazy talented and he really can do anything. He can. If someone asked us for something, we would do it. But that's not always the best idea because it's not profitable to do that. It's a lot of work to do that. It's not efficient. And so you don't always have to say yes in business or in your personal life. (laughs) Well, and I feel like that's one thing I've learned this year. I feel like COVID is almost like made everything shut down. And it kind of makes you reevaluate, what are we spending all of our time doing? And not that these social events and certain things that we're doing are not important, but there, I feel like there were times where I would say yes to things because I didn't want to let people down. But then I look at my kids and I'm like, I'm letting them down because I'm trying to do so many things in a day instead of just having that extra hour to read a book to my child instead of running one more errand or going to 
one more play date or one more thing. And so I feel like it really is applicable in whatever stage of life. I'm a people pleaser and I love to make people happy. But I think if you spend your whole life saying yes always, then you're going to let other people run your life instead of making your own decisions. You know, I always laugh when I see, if you go into those stores like Marshalls or TJ Maxx, you'll sometimes see those signs that you put on your wall that say simplify. <laughs> and I'm always like, anyone who's simplifying is not buying that sign. <laughs> and if you're buying that sign, you're not simplifying. You know, I mean, that's not a thing. Were there any crazy things that happened at the bakery or just interesting? When we bought the bakery, we we bought the bakery in the fall and so we were going right into Christmas season and we had this experience of a flood in our building no on December 10th so Sam was barely away from the bakery ever but he had come to our oldest daughter's kindergarten performance and my phone kept beeping and I looked at it and I saw that it was someone who was working at the bakery and it's like ringing ringing. This person keeps calling me back, calling me back. Well, the long and the short of it is these pipes burst in our bakery, which we had owned for less than 90 days. And as I said before, we're trying to just gain our customers trust, figure out Dallas, you know, learn the business, how it was set up. Anyway, that resulted in us having to close down our shop, find a rental kitchen, move all of our stuff and continue to provide desserts and treats to all these clients at the busiest time of the year. And so we were moving flour and sugar in the middle of the night back and forth oh between gosh. these two places. And I just was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is my life. <laughs> what have I done? But just because it was so tough to to manage all those logistics with no professional connections, not any really solid friends at that point. We'd have just barely gotten here. And all of a sudden we were thrust into this kind of crisis situation. But we managed to pull it off and we learned a lot from that. So two of my funniest bakery stories both actually happened in the middle of the night, which I think is pretty telling just in itself. But one of the funniest things that has ever happened to me in life, not just as an entrepreneur, is that one time I needed to go to the grocery store at like four in the morning to get two bundles of bananas for our bakers to make banana bread. So I went to the grocery store that was open 24 hours, of course. And when I got there, I noticed that there was one other person in the store, which seemed weird because it was four in the morning, but whatever that's why they're open 24 hours right so I get my two bundles of bananas and I go to check out and as I'm standing there waiting for the checker to ring up my bananas I glance behind me and the one and only other person who was in the grocery store also has two bundles of bananas <laughs> and I will never stop wondering why he needed two bundles of bananas in the morning <laughs> Uh, so I really can't like remember. Mm, sounds like a good day for bananas. Yeah. I mean, like, how weird is that? Like, I had a really, like, a pretty, I mean, a legit reason for needing two bundles of bananas at four in the morning. But, like, who else needs four, two bundles of 
us at four in the morning. Like, what a weird thing to need. And that story always makes me laugh. But the other one is a, a lot more complex, but it really touches on just like every aspect almost of small business ownership and why it is so hard for, and why it is just like such a challenge. And uh, one night, so at the height of our business that we had before Color My Cookie and Dessert Unlimited, we had just moved to having an overnight shift. And so we had people working 24 hours a day, uh, which on the one hand, you think, oh, that kind of lightens the burden because now you've got people working all the time. But the fact is, then you always are worrying about people who are working. So I woke up one night, again, middle of the night, like 2.45 to get a drink. And I noticed that my husband's phone was flashing. And so I picked up the phone to see what it was. And we had a text message from our overnight baker reporting that our supplier had brought pine nuts instead of peanuts. Oh, no. (laughs) And the overnight baker was working supposedly on eight full sheets of this very delicious cake we used to offer, a peanut butter crunch cake that clearly requires roasted peanuts, not raw pine nuts. (laughs) I see that she sent this text about an hour before I saw it. So I call her and I say, hey, what what are you doing? Like, what's, what's the plan with the pine nuts? And she proceeds to tell me that she subbed the pine nuts for the peanuts. No. Her crunch cake. (laughs) And not only, so there are so many things that are wrong with this. One is that pine nuts are not peanuts. Two is that pine nuts are like $16 a pound or something. And peanuts are well, peanuts. (laughs) And she also put them in raw, not that toasting them would have been better in this situation, but just like as a professional baker, you just can't put raw nuts into cake. That's not a thing. You need to toast them first. And so there were so many problems here. So I basically just tell her to stop. And I literally put my tennis shoes on with my pajamas and I go to the 24 hour Walmart neighborhood store, which is shockingly busy for three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) I buy 15 pounds of peanuts in, you know, half pound jars or one pound jars, whatever they come in. What does the person at the checkout think when you have 15 pounds of peanuts? (laughs) Right? Well, no, the person behind me did not have 15 pounds of peanuts like I did, like the banana guy, right? Yeah, I don't know what they thought. I was still like half asleep, right? So I just get my 15 pounds of peanuts. And as I'm driving to the bakery, the the whole time I've been trying to think like, how do I handle this from an HR perspective? You know, like how do I address this with the employee? And by the time I get to the bakery, I'm just like, she can't stay. I'm so sorry. But this, like, I try to be really flexible and I try to give people lots of chances. But this is a ginormous, like, this is a job ending mistake. I'm so sorry. (laughs) 
I, but she had, we had paid for her to come to work in an Uber because she had had some kind of car trouble. So now it's three in the morning. I don't want to send her home in an Uber. I feel so bad about firing her. So I drive her home and, you know, I wait for her to get inside safely. I tell her I'm so sorry. I, you know, she gets out of the car. I drive back to the bakery and I'm not a baker, right? Like I run our business, but I can't actually solve the peanut, pine nut. Oh, and I should say the biggest problem here too is that pine nuts and peanuts are different allergens, right? So that was the other issue is that you can't oh, yeah. give somebody something that has a different nut in it than what they think is in it. So that was really, that was a big problem. So I get back to the bakery and I'm just like kind of- not only safety is at risk, but also the taste. I'm just imagining a that cake. It just sounds awful. Nope, 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 nope. Not going to do that. So yeah, I mean, the taste is one thing, but then there's also, you know, there's the allergen issue. There's the cost issue, right? Like you sub pine nuts for peanuts and all of a sudden we're like giving them cake because we haven't charged them enough for peanut or for pine nuts. So lots of issues with this particular mistake. So I go back to the bakery. I can't actually fix the cakes really. Um, so I, but it's, you know, now it's four, four thirty, And I think, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and start washing the dishes. Cause there's all these dishes now from the overnight people. And so I just think, well, you know, I'll just, I'm awake. I might as well just stay here and keep doing this. So I'm doing the dishes and around five o'clock, I start to think, wait a minute, where's the delivery driver? He's supposed to come in at five o'clock and it gets to be five 30, still no delivery driver. And so I call him. And he answers the phone and I say, hey, uh, what's going on? You coming to work? Oh my goodness, I've overslept. Oh no, I'll be right in. Well, <laughs> we don't have time for him to be right in. It's our, we're already half an hour behind on our morning deliveries. So I stop washing the dishes, load up the car, take the morning deliveries, get back in time to drop off the delivery car, get in my car, come home, switch places with Sam, so that I can take the children to school and he can go fix the peanut butter crunch cake. And that really how we lived for like four years. <laughs> like stuff like that happened all the time. Oh man. Yeah, that's a nightmare. And then you're yeah. supposed to function as a human being who has been up since two in the morning. Right. And and not just up like laying in bed, I can't sleep, but like actually kind of dealing with some stuff, you know, like actually working. And so anyway, when I say that we in the early days worked 24 hours a day, that's kind of what I mean. <laughs> like there were definitely, there were 24 hour periods regularly where one or the other of us was working for the full 24 hours, not to mention the times when Sam would work for 35 or 40 hours on his own with no breaks and no coming home <laughs> or, you know, 70 days in a row without a day off. So, uh, that, that's, you know, that's early entrepreneurship life. <laughs> well, I know. And everyone thinks entrepreneurs, oh, you're your own boss. You can your hours. You can go on vacation whenever you want. You're like, no. <laughs> yes. So that's the thing. I think, most people think that being your own boss means you have so much freedom, 
But really, for a long time, being your own boss means you are like bound to your business. You're like the exact opposite of free. (laughs) The company owns you. Yes, it does. It absolutely does. And the fact that you can't get up in the middle of the night to get a drink of water without knowing that you need to check your text messages and also then having a likelihood of having to go solve a problem is just, it's, it's really something, but you know, we got through it and you know, nothing like that has happened in a while, but those are the early years for sure. That's an awesome story. Tell us a little bit about how COVID has impacted your family and your business and what you guys have learned from this experience. So I think the thing that my family and I really experienced during the spring of this year is that we were really pretty deeply, and I would say uniquely affected by COVID, even though we were fortunate in that no one in our family got COVID and the people we knew who got COVID were able to have pretty smooth and relatively easy recoveries. But our family experienced some really tough things as a result of COVID. And one of them is that our storefront bakery, which we had owned for about four years, was really deeply impacted by shelter-in-place orders that were issued and just by people really not having parties or gatherings. Business had both a retail and a wholesale division, but our retail division was very much dependent on parties, celebrations, gatherings, not just big things, but also people stopping by to pick up dessert because they're going to a friend's house for dinner or having book club or something like that. And when shelter and place orders were issued, and even when they were lifted and people were just being so cautious about group gatherings, our business just completely tanked on the retail side. I mean, there were weeks when we were doing like $80 a week in business, just absolutely not enough to support our family and our employees. And ultimately, we made the decision to close our store. And I think the interesting thing about that is that honestly, the retail side of our business had been really, really hard for all four years that we'd owned the business. The wholesale side was really a lot easier for us and we were more interested in the wholesale business, but um, the retail business had been really hard, but you know, we never ever considered closing the store. We would talk to each other. We'd talk to our friends. We would pray about it. We'd just try to come up with ideas and we never ever thought, well, maybe we just closed the store. And part of why was because we still had like two and a half years left on our lease And I mean, I don't know that we would have thought of it anyway, but we had two and a half years left on our lease. And I think that really stopped us from thinking about that option. But once COVID happened, we found ourselves in a place where it was like, well, we might just have to kind of take a leap of faith here and close our store and hope for the best that someone will lease it. And that's ultimately what we decided to do. We closed our store on July 3rd and we were so fortunate because the space leased in less than a month. And we just, for me, that was just such confirmation that we had 
made the right decision. And we were just so grateful that that wasn't a burden and a worry that we had to take with us into our next business venture of the mail order cookie company, Color My Cookie, and our wholesale businesses are unlimited. During that same spring, we had also been dealing with a really significant personal challenge, and that is that my mom became suddenly and severely ill the first week of March, and um, not with COVID or anything COVID-related, but she went from living on her own in a two-story house and driving and being the person who took people who couldn't go to the store to get their groceries to being hospitalized and losing use of her arms and legs and experiencing significant confusion. And that all happened really within just a couple of weeks. I don't have any siblings and she lives in Florida. We live here in Texas. And I was trying to manage her care from here in Texas while all four of our kids who are under nine uh, were home from school suddenly. And we were going through this really big challenge with our business. And taking care of my mom ultimately involved basically going to Florida and bringing her here on an airplane and moving her into a new, a different skilled nursing, a skilled nursing facility here in Dallas. And she, she didn't understand why we couldn't visit her. She didn't have any frame of reference for understanding COVID. You know, when we told her that the kids weren't going back to school after spring break, she just couldn't even understand how that was possible. We tried to explain to her, you know, there's a virus and that's why we can't come inside. That's why we can't be with you. But it was just absolutely heartbreaking to watch her not understand why we couldn't be closer to her. And, you know, I understand why decisions and policies, decisions are made and policies are implemented to protect people who live in nursing homes. And I have no doubt that those things that were done prevented my mom from getting COVID, but gosh, I don't think that those measures really saved her life. And ultimately she got an acute infection that took her life on the 8th of July. And so I was able to be with her in the hospital for the last day or so of her life. But, and I don't think that, I don't think that if we could have been with her, the outcome would have been different. I think that her body really was just failing her, but it's just so sad to me that we weren't able to be with her at all during those last months of her life. And then ultimately, like I said, the way things ended up playing out for our family. We made the decision to close our bakery and our last day in our last day open was the 3rd of July. And then my mom, that was a Friday. And then my mom passed away the next Wednesday. And so that was a really, I would, I mean, clearly that was, that was really the low point. Um, at the end of our 
time owning our first business. And, and just before we really got going on our two businesses that we run now and that we're excited about and that are growing and we're just having a totally different experience. But, but that first week of July was definitely a pivotal time for our family and for us as small business owners and entrepreneurs. So what would you say you learned from this experience? So it took us four years, but I tell my husband, we learned as least, at least as much as we would have if we one of us had gone to get an MBA and then only one of us would have had the experience of getting an MBA. So it cost about as much as that too, at like the best possible <laughs> MBA school. <laughs> so uh, it was expensive and it took a long time, but... You know, I think we're better for it, and I think now we have some really fun concepts that really are ours, and and it's okay. Yeah. Whenever I talk about getting an MBA, I always say, me and my husband, we went and got an MBA, and I always <laughs> yeah. say we, and then yeah. they think that I actually went into class, too. <laughs> no, it's a family event. Yeah, you, family undertaking. We all moved there. We lived it. Yeah. I was involved and did things I'm like classes homework no but we did an MBA he got the certificate but it was a a group effort (laughs) right totally (laughs) when I saw that you guys had to shut down the bakery I feel like my heart just stopped I was like no I feel like you guys put so much work into it and it's I've never seen anyone just blood sweat and tears into a business I don't think people realize I feel like you guys have had such a positive attitude about COVID and literally you could have just had this happen and then just said, okay, our business is not working and walk away and just be done. I really admire the fact that you guys use and not just say, okay, this was a a failed project. I don't want to deal with this anymore, but then made something amazing out of it. That's so amazing. And I'm Well, you know, I appreciate you saying that. It was definitely really, really a hard time. And there were for sure some really terrible things that happened. We we had 14 employees in March and we're we have three employees now. You know, we had to lay people off. It was horrible. I it's my least favorite part of what we do. It's like laying people off is even worse than firing. It was hard to to have to cut our staff like that and you know, you talked a little bit about like the blood and sweat and tears and how people don't, you know, maybe can't relate. And I think that until you actually take the plunge and do the thing and become small business owners, you really cannot know what it's like. And it can be really isolating and really lonely because especially in our situation, I just felt like so many of the people we knew were right at the time when we were going into like the hardest time for us in terms of growing our business is right when all of my friends from law school were making partner. <laughs> you know, all my friends who'd gone to med school were now done with their residencies. And, and going on vacation and, and you're like, what? <laughs> vacation what? Yeah. <laughs> and we just really had our heads down for so long. And I mean, I don't know that we necessarily had like the best attitude ever about COVID, but we definitely didn't just fold our cards, you know? We had to think creatively about what to do. And to be honest, it was in some ways kind of invigorating to 
face such a big challenge, which is having to completely reinvent our business. And, you know, we had had this concept for Color My Cookie, which is our mail order cookie business for years. And, you know, the reason we didn't do it was because we couldn't figure out the box. Can you even imagine? We would like talk about it and then we'd be like, but what box? Like, what would we ship it in? And we, that's how tired we were. Like, we were so tired. We were working so hard. Our plates were so full that, like, we couldn't decide what, like, they're companies. They just only make boxes. Like, it's not really that hard. <laughs> you can even tell them what you have and then they'll tell you what size box. Like, it's very easy. So when we finally didn't have anything going on, I mean, we literally had nothing going on. All the restaurants we supply closed, all the people who, our retail clients stopped coming. We had all this time on our hands and it turns out you can figure out what size box to ship like pretty easily. It's really not that hard. And so we had this really cool concept for this mail order cookie kit that would be totally different than other cookie kits. So we, you know, most cookie kits, you get baked cookies and then you get a bag of icing and you get sprinkles. And when you get those things, you're supposed to take the icing and put it on the cookie and then add sprinkles. And then you have a cookie and it has icing and sprinkles and it's kind of a mess, but you're excited because it has lots of sugar. But our cookies, we pre-ice them black and white. So they look more like a coloring book. And then we developed this way of creating house-made edible watercolors. And we put those on a palette, and then we send the cookies to decorate with the edible watercolors. We still include sprinkles, and we still include icing, because everyone loves that. But when you get done with our cookies, they actually look like the thing they're supposed to look like. So one of my favorite designs was a beach ball. And we sent a cookie, it was white, and it had the black lines on it for the lines where the beach ball segments would be. And then we sent colors, red and blue and yellow, and you could paint it. And then we sent little graham cracker crumbs. So you can drip your graham cracker crumbs on there, and it looks like your beach ball's been in the sand. Cute. <laughs> it's so fun. And anyway, that concept has just been so fun, and we've loved it. But I think part of why we love it is because it's our idea. And one thing I think about a lot, as I've thought about a lot, is that I think that if you, if your goal is to just run a business and work for yourself and not have a boss and make enough money to support your family, I think you can buy a business doing like anything really. And then you like apply certain principles and you grow your business and that's fine. And you don't have to, your soul doesn't have to be in your business. You can own something that is not a reflection of your soul. <laughs> and and you can apply principles and make money. But if I had to do it again, what I what I've realized is that if your business, if your goal isn't just to make money, which our goal is definitely to make money. That's I'm for people making money. <laughs> but our business from the beginning, we intended it to be an expression of our personalities, our commitment to hospitality, our talents, our interests, our values, like all these things. Yeah. And when you want your business to really embody all of those things and to like have your soul in it, I don't think you can buy someone else's business and make that happen. Yeah. And that's what we learned, I think. But in those four years, we 
figure that out. And now we have these two businesses, Color My Cookie, which is the mail order cookie company, and Dessert Unlimited, which is a wholesale dessert supplier. And those two businesses really reflect who we are and what we want. And and we're excited and optimistic about the future, even though it was really hard for a long time. Yeah. I feel like you guys are the epitome of working things out even though times are tough. What advice do you have for others going through hard times? So I remember during one of the really hardest times in the year, you know, in the last three or four years, we were just starting off as entrepreneurs. My aunt said something to me that really stuck with me and she said, you never know how close you are to being out of the muck. Like you might be closer than you think to being out of the hard time. And if you think about like walking through a forest that's really foggy and you really can't tell how close you are to the edge, you might still be a long ways away, but you also might be closer than you think. And so I think that's important to remember because that that definitely happened to us. We were we didn't know. It was it was really, really, really bad until it wasn't. <laughs> and the other thing is that, so you might not have had the idea that's going to get you out of the hard time yet. And one of the things I tell my kids all the time is not every idea is a good idea. It takes a lot of ideas, actually, to have a good idea. <laughs> and so keep the ideas coming because some of them are not good. And anyone who tells you that all ideas are good ideas, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. Like, some ideas are terrible. And what we, what I found was that when we were going through this really hard time growing our business, we talked about it. We thought about it. We, we had so many ideas. We'd ask our friends for ideas. We'd ask our friends of friends for ideas. We would network with people. We would counsel with professionals and and we didn't have the idea yet that was turned out to be the best idea, which in our case was to close one of our lines of business. And I just think you never know when the really good idea is coming. And so you have to keep having ideas. I like that. It's easy to think that you have to persevere. You got to push through the hard times. You got to keep going, keep moving. But I think... Your example of learning when to say no or learning to say, we're going to close this door and there's another opportunity ahead. Just as it takes courage to go through, I think sometimes it takes more courage to stop and Absolutely. say, okay, we're moving on. It's like a pride thing too of saying, okay, this idea did not pan out the way that we intended, Absolutely. you know, whether that's like small ideas or even relationships that are just not working out or just different things in life. This is not working. And even though we've put so much work into it, I don't think putting an extra four years is going to make it better. Putting more isn't going to make it better. And you know, one of the things that I've been so grateful for throughout this experience is that for whatever reason, I have not felt like Sam and I failed. I felt like our project failed, <laughs> but we're not failures, you know, but having that 
being able to say, I'm going to cut my losses. I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop. I think is just so valuable. And it's so hard to do because most of the time what you're thinking is, I'm not a quitter, like never give up, always do your best. Like that's the messaging we always hear. Yeah. Right. And, and so when you hear that over and over again, like never give up, always do your best, all those things, you think that means you can't stop. You can't say, no, I'm not going to keep doing this. And uh, I'm just so grateful that we got to the point where we could say, like, this is actually going to be the beginning of the next really good thing for us. Yeah. Well, I have one last question for you, and that's if you could go back in time and give yourself advice at any stage of life, where would you go and what would you say? So I mentioned a little bit about how I grew up in a family that was pretty volatile. And when I was 13, I went to boarding school. And if I go back in time, I think I would tell my 13-year-old self, things are about to get... So the world is about to get bigger and and you'll have so many opportunities. Get ready for them. <laughs> I guess I'd say at that point though when I when I went to boarding school I still really thought that every single thing was super duper important, right? I had grown up in this way where I wanted everything to be just right. I went so fast at everything, like especially school kind of things. And I gave every single thing my best effort. And it took me until like my mid-30s probably to come up with my mantra for life, which is not everything requires your best effort. <laughs> and if you think about it, like figuring out what requires your best effort and what doesn't and then applying yourself accordingly is actually a lot harder than just like always doing your best. <laughs> and so... I would have told my, I, I wish that there was a way for me to tell myself earlier that not everything requires my best effort. I love it. I've actually heard you say that before and, and I love it. It's great. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I really loved our chat today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you having me. This is Liz Gardner. Thank you for listening to Letters to My Younger Self. I really appreciate all your support. If this episode helped you, please share it with a friend. Feel free to reach out if you have any recommendations for topics or people that you would like to hear in the next upcoming episodes. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week.